Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining us here at Orange Crest Community Church. My name is Josh De La Rosa, and today we're tackling a question that really runs deep in us. And it's a question that has plagued mankind for as long as we can collectively remember. And simply put, the question is this, why doesn't God put an end to evil and suffering? So we're going to begin a series looking at this question, and really a variety of, of similar questions, in a series that we're calling No One Is Immune. What do you do when trouble strikes suddenly? And trouble is no uh, surprise when it comes up, I think, in our world because it has been happening so, so frequently. And these types of questions are things we ask, like, why is there so much suffering? We ask these things when we're hurting or when we see people around us hurting. Why does it have to be this way? For example, you turn on the news and still there's so much tension. There's so much unrest in our world. There's so much troubling news all around the world and we receive as a church, even constant prayer requests as a staff. From week to week, we hear of painful stories and and incurable even diseases. And, and the question that comes up is, why? Why so much suffering? This question really shouts at us, really at the core of our being, when we're being affected by evil and by suffering. And, and this is when we desperately need perspective that comes from faith. And so in this series we're going to be in for four weeks we're going to wrestle with four core questions the first one as i mentioned why does god allow so much suffering next week we're going to look at this why do bad things happen to good people that's a question many have asked flip that around why do good things happen to bad people that doesn't make any sense or question number four is there a ticket out of trouble can i buy my way out of trouble Now, all of these issues impact us on at least two levels. And so, first, this impacts all of us intellectually, in our minds. And here's how. We ask ourselves, how can a good God, who's all-powerful, allow this to happen? How can a God that has all the power in the universe allow suffering and evil to continue in the world that he made? Like, why doesn't he just stop it? It seems like a loving God would do that. He would end evil in the world. And if he had the power to do so, why doesn't he do that? Or people begin to ask the question, maybe he's not as good as the Bible really says. Now, second, it impacts us emotionally. Like in our hearts, we start really wrestling. If I love God, why does he allow me to suffer? I obey him. Or or why is he allowing my loved one to continue to suffer and to go through this? Maybe you're in pain right now or someone you know is, is, is crying out to God and say, God, I'm, I'm ready to go. Why are you leaving me in this painful state? I'm suffering. Why am I still suffering? Why are you allowing me to go through so much pain? And in fact, some of you right now, you're facing an unimaginable pain. And these might be some of the questions in your own mind. So I just keep in mind before we go any further that there's both questions intellectually and there's questions emotionally we're wrestling with as we look at this topic together. Now, before we get further, let's define some basic terms. First off, let's consider the what is good and what is evil. First, let's define good. Good is that which brings favorable things. We have no problem with this. 
uh, we actually want this. I don't know about you, but I love it when things are going good. When I'm experiencing favorable things, <laughs> life is good. Life is pleasant. Life is what I desire. Now, defining evil is this. It's that which causes harm. Evil is a, it's a perversion of good. It's things aren't right. They're flipped upside down, a corruption of something that already exists. That's what evil is. For instance, tooth decay only exists because we have teeth. Evil only exists because there's a way things are supposed to be. And so to complain about the problem of evil is to say that there's a way that this world is really supposed to be. The reality of evil actually requires the existence of God rather than disproving his existence. And even identifying the problem of evil, it presupposes that there is a standard of good. It begs the question, well, who sets this standard? There's a God. The Bible tells us that there is a God who sets the standard. And I want to look in the Bible at what occurred in the beginning, in the garden that describes the fall of man. This is going to help give us some context uh, for this series. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It reads, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now we learn this is the tempter. This is the evil one, Satan. He's there tempting Eve in the garden. Verse 2, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. God gave explicit instructions to avoid this one tree in the middle of the garden. Look at the reply of the serpent. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. He's tempting them. Knowing good and evil. The woman said, or the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband. The implication here, well, it actually reads, who was with her and he ate it. So Adam is standing right there. She is the one receiving this dialogue from this serpent. And, but Adam is just standing there, not saying anything, not stepping forward, not reminding or speaking up about what God has said. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. The moment Adam ate it, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And that says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, "Uh, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So what does Adam do? He blame shifts. He points over to Eve. She made me do it and you gave her to me. The Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, and she blame shifts as well. She takes Adam's lead. She's learned this from him. 
the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You'll move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is speaking of the offspring of the woman who would come. And then verse 16, it says, He said to the woman, this is God speaking a judgment consequence to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. This is one of the consequences of their rebellion. Pain in childbirth. And then also, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. There will be a power struggle now in the marriage relationship between husbands and wives because of this rebellion in the garden. Verse 17, And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. Now this explains not all, but so many of the problems, the trouble, and the suffering that we all face in life. Now I want to show you a commercial that didn't air for the Super Bowl, but it was it was written and produced and filmed for the Super Bowl. It's an all-state commercial. Uh, the network stations didn't air it though. Uh, it follows, but you can actually find this online. It follows a character named Mayhem who strikes people in different ways, and so you better get insurance from Allstate to prepare for when Mayhem strikes. That's the premise. So you can find all sorts of these clips online, but this one is unique and maybe follow a little too closely the biblical story. And so take a look at this uh, version of this Allstate commercial. <laughs> I'm a forbidden fruit, and not to brag or nothing, but I'm pretty much the most amazing apple ever. Atta girl. Mayhem has been and always will be everywhere. Are you in good hands? Now, everything unravels. You just see the tracing of problems and trouble and suffering and evil. All from, what, the garden. <laughs> now, this is this is a interpretation of this scene, but they must have concluded, we really, the networks must have concluded, we can't really show that. People might realize that they have read that somewhere or heard about that story, and so it didn't actually air. But Adam and Eve, our ancestors' rebellion brought consequences that really ripple out from from right there in the garden to all humanity. Look at Romans 5, verse 12. Paul 
speaks in reference to this. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. The Bible actually says that every one of us has rejected God as well. We followed in the footsteps of the first man and woman. We have ratified and stamped their decision with our own rebellion. And when mankind rejected God, what this did is it sort of opened up the way for all different kinds of evil to enter the world. And let's look at some of the different kinds of evil that impact our lives. First, you have natural evil. Natural evil is like earthquakes and floods and sickness and decay and even death. This is natural evil. Things are breaking down. The world is breaking down. It's been cursed now. You saw that in the judgment that God declared there in the garden. So we have things like tidal waves. We have things like deadly plagues. We have viruses. We have trees that are falling over and that just eventually erode and break. And they sometimes fall on houses and people get hurt or property gets damaged. Natural evil. We have cliffs eroding and, and giving way and mudslides and on and on. Romans chapter 8 verse 20 reads, For the creation was subjected to futility. This is what it refers to there. The, the creation, what God has made has been subjected to futility. It's not, it's not as it was intended, not willingly, it says, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to the decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. There's hope in this passage. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Paul's writing about how the world that we're living in is breaking down. And we all just have to admit, this place, this planet, Earth, is a very dangerous place to live. That's probably not a newsflash, but sometimes we forget that that's the case. Now, we're to be thankful. We're to be thankful why? Well, I'm thankful that I'm living right now. With advancements, uh, you and I, we may be able to weather some of the storms and the suffering that comes. But, but as you know, not completely. We all face the challenge of natural evil striking suddenly. You probably actually know people moving to or considering moving to Florida, to Idaho, and just people just choosing to move out of the state of California. But as everybody picks the state they're going to live in and the area they're going to live in, you also somewhat pick your experience. There's just no avoiding natural evil. So my friends in Texas, they deal with tornadoes. In Oklahoma, they deal with tornadoes. My friends in uh, in Florida, they, they deal with hurricanes. Right here in California, we deal with earthquakes. People in the northern states, they deal with freezing. And, you know, you got to make sure you don't freeze to death and you prepare for that. This all comes with a broken world. So the effects of natural evil. Another kind of evil is known as moral evil. Moral evil is, is evil harm done by people. You see, God made us with the ability to choose whether or not to do good or to do harm. You know, we're, we're selfish. We, we can all do all sorts of damage to people. You know, some leaders, national leaders, leaders of countries, some people don't really care for their people. And they do moral, acts of moral evil. So some of the worst leaders in history have committed horrible, atrocious crimes against humanity. When you hear or read about these different genocides that have happened in, in certain regions and certain countries, it's just pure evil. It fits in this category of moral evil. 
We can trace that back to the fall of man. But you have people like Stalin and Mao and Hitler, and you have uh, all of the people, all of the children that have been aborted through the years. You have drunk driving. This whole ability to harm others has infected the entire human race. And we're going to look further at this next week, but in every single human heart is this ability to do great harm, moral evil. In fact, Adam and Eve's firstborn son was a chip off the old block. Look at how his uh, anger and jealousy towards his brother got stirred up. This is Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. It reads, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? So if you know the story, these two brothers, Cain and Abel, both offered something to God. And God looked with more favor towards uh, the younger brother Abel's offering. And this infuriated Cain. He was so angry. He was so jealous. And God saw him stewing and he saw his face. He said, why are you looking so despondent? Why are you so furious? And look at his, Look at how God continues with him. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's right there. Sin is right there. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, so he doesn't really take God seriously because this next verse tells us. He tells, he tells his brother Abel, hey, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Cold-blooded murder of his own brother all over jealousy and anger. It's a horrible story. And then it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? So here we see Cain. He's warned. He's certainly being tempted towards evil. And then he's warned by God. He gives in to his desires. He murders and then he tries to lie. This is moral evil spreading and spreading and spreading. You can, you can look at the pattern of, of Adam and you can see uh, this pattern replaying and repeating itself in his son Cain. And by Genesis chapter 6, just a couple chapters later, many, many people have been added to the world at this point. You can actually read in Genesis 5 about all these people who lived very long lives and they had children and Genesis 6, verse 5, When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human heart, of the human mind, was nothing but evil all the time. And then it leads to talk about how God sent judgment upon the people who were alive. And this is the story, begins the story of Noah and the great flood. But you just see at this point, the wickedness had been just rampant. And there was hardly anybody living righteous lives at this point. So that's another, again, another example of moral evil. Things had gotten so bad at this point. And so God uh, basically uh, calls his judgment down upon mankind and spares a man and his family, Noah and his family. So that's another kind of evil. First we have natural evil, then we have moral evil. All of these things we trace back to the fall of man, the rebellion in the garden, and just the way that that has rippled out. But wait, <laughs> Sadly, there's more. There's another kind of evil that we have to deal with, and it's supernatural evil. Supernatural evil is this. It's the attack and the temptation from the demonic against humanity and the plan of God. And I want to flip to the back of the Bible. You can read Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. 
This is describing when Satan rebelled in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That's that's Satan. The dragon and his angels, his demons, also fought. But he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon was thrown out, thrown out of heaven. The ancient serpent, who was called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to earth and his angels with him. So there's this great rebellion. And so now we deal with supernatural evil as Satan and his forces have unleashed their fury upon the earth. Peter writes this, one of the church leaders in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He writes, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So you have all three of these evils. You have natural evil moral evil and supernatural evil. You have these things colliding and and really multiplying more and more trouble and problems with each other. And you have the whole world experiencing the situation that we find ourselves in. Again, this existence on planet Earth is just not safe. We deal with problems and trouble. Now, we puzzle over this, like, why did God let this stuff happen? And the problem of evil is just a philosophical dilemma until it actually affects me or, or you or, or someone that we, that we love. It's only philosophical until someone I know gets sick or when I get sick or I realize or you realize that you have a condition or you're, you're in some pain that's not going away or someone you love is suffering and Whenever evil threatens your life, it goes beyond philosophical. Or if I have to repair house damage because of some natural evil that has occurred, I start wondering about these things. But what's the solution to pain and to suffering? Well, as long as we're on the earth, evil, pain, and suffering will continue to be a reality that just sort of stings us. And we all feel the throbbing of this pain. Now, one of my favorite stories of missionaries is about a young Belgian priest. He was sent to minister and care for the lepers of a, of a tiny Hawaiian island, the island of Molokai. And no one was signing up to serve in this assignment because uh, really nobody wanted to be around lepers. But this man, his name was Father Damien, he was instructed to go to this place and to do ministry to this group of people, but to not touch them. So just to sort of minister to them from a distance. But how do you do ministry from a distance? And so what he does is he steps into life with them and he starts caring for them. Now here's a picture of, of Damien, Father Damien, with leprous girls just caring for them. And then another picture with, with Father Damien and leprous boys. Well, after 12 years, as you can imagine, he contracted the disease himself. And at one point, he opened up his robe and he showed the church the initial signs of leprosy and he began his Sunday sermon with, We lepers. He was now one of them. And what this did is it sparked an entirely different relationship. Now this man, Father Damien, he died at age 49. Here's a picture of him at his, uh, you know, near, nearing his death. I mean, you could see leprosy had infected his whole body. But this was an amazing story of love and compassion. His grave is beside the church where he ministered on the island of Molokai. 
And in a similar but even more profound way, God acted on our behalf out of love. God sent his son Jesus into our world so that the weight of pain and suffering would not crush us. We have freedom to try to bear the weight of all of the pain and suffering on our own, but that is not what God wants. That's not God's intent. And here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is God's answer to evil and to suffering. When, when all of our words fall short, we have Jesus, whose whole life speaks louder than words ever could. And so check out this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It reads, He himself, speaking of Christ Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed few points about Jesus. First, his suffering brings comfort because he understands the pain that we experience in life because he himself died an excruciating death on the cross for you. He underwent suffering and pain for us. Jesus was innocent, yet he was killed and he endured real pain and suffering. And the effect of pain is still here. But second thing, his sacrifice brings healing because he died so that sin and the pain and suffering which comes with sin will not overcome you and me. His sacrifice was the final answer to sin. Now the word in that verse, in First Peter, the word healed here, it actually means, has a connotation of renewal or to be made whole again. And so living in this fallen world, it impacts us, but renewal is only found in Jesus. God sent Jesus so we would be made whole again. We could be healed. Lee Strobel, a, a best-selling author and apologist, someone who writes on defending the Christian faith, he said this. He said, God's ultimate answer to our suffering is not an explanation. It's the incarnation. That's the word that we used to describe God becoming a man, God taking on flesh, the incarnation. This was God's answer. That really gets to the heart of God's solution. You can't deal with the question of pain and suffering effectively without looking at Jesus. Jesus was God's plan for redemption, not just for salvation, but also his help comes in the here and now. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, speaking of Adam, so also through the one man's obedience, that's Jesus. The many will be made righteous. So Adam is the first, you know, the first Adam. Basically, we're sinners and, and we followed in his footsteps. Jesus is the second Adam. The second man came and he lived a perfect life and he paved the way. Jesus stepped into the world that we live in, a, a, a broken world. And when he came, he didn't apologize for evil and suffering, but instead he made a hopeful promise. And look at his promise, John 16:33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So if you turn to Jesus, he promises to give us what we need here and now. Peace to deal with the present and courage to deal with our future. There are very, very few things in life that stir us like pain and suffering. C.S. Lewis, he said this, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks 
in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, my hope is that you will turn to God and experience his comfort, his help, and his peace right now. In the midst of these troubling times, you know, every time another news flash comes and more trouble breaks, we can put our hope once again in God. The Christian answer is the most hopeful one. As we wrap up, I want to encourage you to consider taking a next step. Uh, first thing is this, to turn to God for peace and courage. It could be that every time trouble strikes, you turn everywhere else, but you don't turn to God. You're not going to find the help there. You're not going to find the help in the world, news, uh, your friends alone, your family alone. God wants to help you. He sent his son as a solution to pain and suffering. So would you turn to God for peace and courage? The second thing is this, is to show compassion towards someone who's hurting. You know, there's a lot of people right now who are going through painful, painful times. And it helps to first care. Just care. Care for them right where they're at. Care for them emotionally right where they are. Rather than jumping to the intellectual answers and talking about um, why sin into the world, start by just being present. Start by just bringing comfort and compassion to those who are hurting. The third next step is to memorize John 16.33, where Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. That's a verse you can tuck away in your mind, in your heart, and you can hang on to in the midst of living your life. I want to pray for you, so would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the perspective that we get and the hope that you bring to us as we as we learn from you about this area of pain and suffering. Where did it come from? Why are we so prone to this? Why is the world breaking down? But more than all of that, what you have done to display your glory by sending your son here to die on a cross to offer his life for our sins. Uh, This speaks of your great love and compassion. You demonstrated that. And so, Father, we give you praise and thanks. I pray for each person that's watching that they would turn to you uh, to begin to walk with you for those that have never done that. And for those that have, Lord, I pray they would turn to you to receive your peace here and now and courage uh, to face the future. We ask for your help right now in these things. May we also bring hope to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.